The Dangers of Adventure, An Encounter with Goblins, and The Power of Gandalf. We continue our exploration of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit by wandering through Chapter 4, Overhill and Underhill. Let's wander. Let's check the map. For our new listeners, these map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings stories. One of my favorite activities while reading high fantasy is to study the map in all its details, thus diving deeper into the world of the story. These map checks are intended to help us remember the context for today's wanderings. We are following the unlikely adventure of Bilbo the Hobbit, who has accompanied Thorin and his company of dwarves to reclaim their homeland from the dragon Smaug. The company has had a short yet refreshing rest at the house of Elrond in Rivendell, and they now attempt a passage over the Misty Mountains. The chapter opens with a warning, quote, There are many paths that lead up into those mountains, and many passes over them, but most of the paths were cheats and deceptions and led nowhere or to bad ends, and most of the passes were infested by evil things and dreadful dangers. Already the narrator is setting us up for the conflict that will happen in this chapter, and we feel like the danger will be like nothing we have encountered so far. Sure, the company has been wet, cold, tired, hungry, and even encountered evil creatures like trolls, but the mountains are extra perilous. Poor Bilbo, who left his comfortable home behind, can see far away, quote, his own country of safe and comfortable things. Yet the nights are, quote, comfortless and chill. Even the great goblin, once the company has been captured, drives this theme home, quote, let's have the truth or I will prepare something particularly uncomfortable for you. However, this stage of adventure has gone far past mere uncomfort, or even general miserableness. Not only are they uncomfortable and miserable, but danger whirls around them in an uncontrollable chaos. They are high in the mountains when a storm arises, but, quote, more than a thunderstorm, a thunder battle. They are in a place where, quote, storms come up from east and west and make war. I see there another reminder of the big picture. Sauron in the east seeks to make war on the good people who live in the west, and Bilbo and Thorin are unknowingly caught up in that wider conflict. Unprotected and exposed, the company attempts to make camp on the path, quote, with a dreadful fall into a dim valley at one side of them. Lightning flashes above them, boulders crash over them, rain beats on them, and wind threatens to pull them away into the darkness. On top of all these dangers, Bilbo can see, quote, stone giants hurling rocks at one another for a game. Danger and death surround the dwarves. Thorin sums it up when he says, quote, if we don't get blown off or drowned or struck by lightning, we shall be picked up by some giant and kicked sky high for a football. They find a cave which seems to promise what the dwarves lack, shelter, warmth, protection, and even some comfort. But we're told that even caves in the mountain are dangerous. Quote, you don't know how far they go back, or where a passage behind may lead to, or what is waiting for you inside. Yet it is Bilbo, not the battle-hardened dwarves or wise wizard among them, who detects the danger. This comes in the form of a dream. This is not the first dream Bilbo has had. In chapter 1, he had uncomfortable dreams stirred by the dwarves' song. In chapter 3, Bilbo was in a dreamlike state when he entered Rivendell, even leaving on a dreamy morning. Clearly, dreams have great power in Middle-earth, and more often relate to the waking world than the dream world. Bilbo's dream in this chapter shows him a crack in the wall and floor of the cave. When the floor gives way, Bilbo is, quote, 
slipping, beginning to fall down, down, goodness knows where to. Bilbo's descent to the dark parts of the world is about to begin. But before it does, he wakes and realizes the message of the dream. He gives a shout, but is still captured by the goblins. Again, evil shows up when the good characters are the most desperate, and seem to be able to provide what the good guys need so badly. Although the good later realize that what they are given is counterfeit, a mock satisfaction to their needs. The trolls' fire offered food and warmth, but in the end, the dwarves were almost the food. Now, the company is wet, suffering through a thunder battle, with wind, lightning, stones, and all sorts of mortal dangers whirling uncontrollably around them. They need shelter. They need fire. They need food. They seem to find a place that provides shelter, a dry cave. However, as the narrator warns us, quote, you certainly usually find something if you look, but it is not always quite the something you were after. So it proved on this occasion. The dry, sheltered cave is actually what the mountain goblins call their front porch, and it seems to be built to trap unsuspecting travelers, just like Thorin and company. And then we are introduced to goblins. The style of the language that first reveals goblins to us is oppressive and chaotic. Listen to this line, quote, Out jumped the goblins, big goblins, great ugly-looking goblins, lots of goblins, before you could say rocks and blocks. The description builds on itself, starting simply before repeating and getting more complex. Yet at the same time, it is the fast, short statements that reinforce the idea that the goblins move quickly in their objective. Goblins are able to capture the company before you can even say a handful of words. This rapid, oppressive language style is used a little later when the company finds their luggage, quote, broken open and being rummaged by goblins and smelt by goblins and fingered by goblins and quarreled over by goblins. Like all creatures in Middle-earth, even those as corrupt as goblins, they have music in their nature. So we are presented with a goblin song. This song has simple words, most of them with only one syllable, like clap, snap, and crack. None of these words are what Bilbo would call comfortable, like pinch, crush, smash. These words and their echo are like a psychological game, tormenting Bilbo's mind. The feeling of the song is one of pain and descending. We're going down, 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 deep, underground. And the meaning of the song is rather overt. The goblins pull out whips to drive their prisoners forward. The goblins also seem to be closely associated with rocks and stones. Instead of the green trees that surround the elves, we have large boulders and giants throwing stones around the goblins' realm. As they drive the prisoners before them, they, quote, chuckle and laugh in their horrible, stony voices. When they sing, they keep time, quote, with the flap of their flat feet on the stone. Goblins, like the trolls we met in chapter 2, plan to make a meal of the ponies. For the narrator informs us, quote, Goblins eat horses and ponies and donkeys and other much more dreadful things. While he doesn't say it here, Tolkien will later write that orcs, which are essentially synonymous with goblins, will actually eat the flesh of their enemies. We may surmise that that's what the narrator means by more dreadful things. We are also told, curiously, that the goblins, quote, are always hungry, much like the trolls, who complained about not having man flesh to eat and wanted to cook the dwarves, it seems that evil-natured creatures are first of all never satisfied consumers, always lusting after more than what they need. 
Goblins are also, quote, cruel, wicked, and bad-hearted. They make no beautiful things, but they make many clever ones. These wicked creatures are incapable of crafting beauty, in contrast with the elves, where even the weapons they make are works of art. No goblins are masters at creating weapons of war. We see a little of Tolkien's life history, particularly the trench warfare of World War I that he survived. Quote, it is not unlikely that they invented some of the machines that have since troubled the world, especially the ingenious devices for killing large numbers of people at once. Indeed, later in life, Tolkien would privately label particularly violent people as orcs. One final commentary on the nature of evil that we see in this chapter. I'll pull from the work of Tolkien scholar Becca Tarnas in her book titled Journey to the Imaginal Realm. Becca points out many examples of evil defeating itself, like Wormtongue and Saruman, or most famous, Golem and the Ring. We see an example here. When Gandalf puts out the goblin's light, quote, Soon the goblins were falling over one another and rolling in heaps on the floor, biting and kicking and fighting as if they had all gone mad. So what do the goblins have to teach us about the nature of evil in Tolkien's world? Evil exists out of our sight like goblins waiting behind a trapdoor, and can capture even the most watchful and wise. Evil is part of the natural world, as evidenced by the goblin song. Evil is always hungry, always consuming, and produces nothing of beauty. Because of its lusting nature, evil predictably defeats itself, yet good must still intervene and struggle against evil. We have one more revelation from this chapter to explore. The power that fights against evil, as shown by Gandalf the wizard. We'll get to that right after this break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. So far in Bilbo's tale, Gandalf the wizard has not really shown much power. He seems to give good counsel, can be persuasive and grumpy, has powerful elf friends, and is clever enough to trick trolls, not to mention his fireworks that Bilbo remembers, but he hasn't really shown any power that you or I might call magic. Not until this chapter, that is, where we see Gandalf reveal his power against evil. The first hint we see of Gandalf's power is once the dwarves are sheltering in the mountain cave, he is able to turn their smoke rings into different colors. That's not particularly new. He and Thorin would blow out magnificent racing smoke rings in Bilbo's Hobbit Hole in Chapter 1, 
But in this chapter, Gandalf's association with smoke is the first hint to his power. Couple that with his exploration of the cave when he, quote, lit up his wand. We see that Gandalf's power isn't just smoke, but light also. Lumos. Just kidding. Gandalf's power bursts onto the scene as the goblins attempt to take him. He's awakened by Bilbo's desperate yell and, quote, there was a terrific flash like lightning in the cave. What exactly happened, we don't know, but the flash of light from Gandalf resulted in a smell of gunpowder and dead goblins. Not only can he produce light, but Gandalf can also make lights go out. The great fire in the hall suddenly disappears, but Gandalf's sword shines with its own blue light, and the dwarves and Bilbo escape with, quote, a pale light leading them on. As the company runs deeper into the mountain, the only light they follow is that from Gandalf's wand, which gave, quote, a faint light to help the dwarves as they went along. Let's add all that together. Gandalf has power over light, and his power is closely associated with various elements of fire, light, flame, and smoke. His power is subtle most of the time, like changing the color of smoke rings, but can be revealed in mighty ways, like a flash of light that kills goblins. Now, spoiler alert, even though it's not said in The Hobbit, we know that Gandalf is the bearer of one of the three elven rings, Narya, often also called the Ring of Fire. But regardless of bearing the ring, Gandalf seems to have this role in Middle-earth, to kindle the hearts of good people to great deeds of courage in overcoming evil. To paraphrase an earlier quote from The Hobbit, Gandalf is a light to help the good people of Middle-earth as they go along in the struggle against evil. It's fascinating, then, that Bilbo is about to be cut off from Gandalf and his light. Bilbo will stumble into a dark place, find a dark ring, and play a riddle game in the dark. But we'll get to that later on. Join me in the next episode, where we'll compare the written word with Peter Jackson's on-screen adaptation. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. <laughs>